Morning everyone, my name's Pete, I'm the uh, evening pastor. As we come to God's word, let's pray together. Father, thank you that as we open this book, we read God-breathed words that bring life and hope and comfort to our souls. So please help us to listen intently to what you have to say to us here this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, King Herod, that's Herod the Great, uh, he certainly had a lot of people killed in front of him. Uh, he was the one that killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem around the time of Jesus' birth. Well, he had three boys himself when they grew up and when he died. The Romans divided his kingdom between his sons with the largest portion going to Archelaus. Archelaus was a nasty one. He was a ruthless leader and he was furious when he wasn't given the title of king like his father. So he got together a delegation and went to Rome to request the title. Now, to his surprise, when he got there, another delegation had also arrived, made up of about 50 Jews and Samaritans who were there to formally oppose him. They hated him. They didn't want him to be their king. Well, Caesar Augustus uh, heard the case before a vast crowd of people. And to cut a long story short, Archelaus was not pronounced king. Well, he did receive the title of ethnarch, which is more of a functional title like the word governor, something like that, but well short of the grand title of king. Imagine the headlines on his return. Archelaus, kingship denied. Perhaps you could come up with a better title than that. That's all I could come up with. Look at your Bibles with me now. Because Jesus is clearly drawing on current and dramatic news events in this parable. But he gives it a twist. The man of noble birth in Jesus' parable does become king. Now he's got everyone's attention. Who's he talking about? When did this happen? Who is the king? Now, I just want you to kind of shelve that thought for a moment. Okay, just pop it up there for a sec. We'll come back to it. Let's walk into the specific situation where Jesus is speaking. And Pete, thanks for your little... Where is Pete? Who read the Bible? There you are. Thanks for your little intro. Okay, just mentioning Zacchaeus, really helpful for us. Because verse 11 says he's, he's near Jerusalem and the Passover festival uh, was only a week away. That means that the, the city would swell to about three times its normal population like a south coast town in summer. Um, they gathered, though, not to swim and party, but, but to celebrate and remember God's wonderful saving acts in the time of Moses. And even Moses himself had said, God will raise up a leader from among you to save them at some future time. What's more, it had been a long time since they'd heard from any prophet of God, and many people were thinking that maybe Jesus is the promised Messiah. 
the one that the prophets had all been pointing to. You know, the one born to be king and to save his people from their enemies. In fact, if you look back at verse uh, 10, which, which Pete helpfully mentioned for us, Jesus even called himself the Son of Man. Now, if you go back to Daniel 7, that's one of the whoa, red light flashing kind of titles for the Messiah. Their expectations are at fever pitch. Jerusalem's just up the hill. Jesus fits the bill. He, will he become king? Perhaps now's the time to lead the Israelites into victory over their enemies. Freedom from Roman rule. That's why verse 11 says, He went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem. And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And the people, they're right. And they're wrong all at the same time. Jesus is the king they had been waiting for. But he's not the type of king they're expecting. He's come to save them from something far greater and bless them with something far better. Now, it's unlikely that anyone understood fully at the time Jesus told this parable exactly what it was all about. But after Jesus' death and then his resurrection... And then as he met with some of his uh, followers and promised that he would return and, and gave them instructions uh, and, and then ascend into heaven, some disciples would have started to realize, ah, oh, the king in that parable Jesus told, that's actually Jesus. He's talking about himself. So what does it all mean? Look at the parable with me. Let's work it out. The nobleman is Jesus. The distant country, it's up there on the screen, all the kind of important bits of the parable. The distant country is heaven. The word distant suggests it's going to be a long time before he returns. It has been. His return then is the second coming when Jesus returns as king to judge the earth. His servants? Well, they're people who follow Jesus. Well, can I actually insert a couple of words there? People who say they follow Jesus. Only God knows our hearts, doesn't he? Lots of, you know, churchy and religious looking people down through the centuries. Some Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Let's not be one of those. Hebrews 4.13 says, uh, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That includes my heart and yours. No hiding on that day. Now, a miner is a significant amount of money. About three to four months wages. So it's a really generous amount. And remember, in this parable, uh, the nobleman gives out ten of them. That's a, an enormous amount. Um, Note that each servant uh, received the same amount. So this is different to the parable in Matthew 25. We're not comparing talents or gifts or abilities that every single person is different 
in that situation over in Matthew 25. This one's different. Everyone received the same thing. So the key question is this. What does Jesus entrust to all his followers before he ascends to heaven? Thinking like great commission? It's the generous gift of the gospel itself. The good news that saves. He wants all true believers to personally receive the gift of the gospel and to invest that gift, that blessing, that news in the lives of others around them. Paul repeatedly used this idea of being entrusted with the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 uses that exact phrase. 1 Timothy 1.11, 1 Timothy 6.20, again, 2 Timothy 2.2. This kind of thinking was very much part of Paul's framework, that we've been entrusted with this gospel uh, ourselves, and it's ours to then pass on to others. Invest what God has invested in you. So there's nothing here about particular gifts and abilities and talents We've got the same investment that the Apostle Paul had. That Billy Graham, who just died recently, that he had. That Martin Luther had. I thought the kids might still be in here. I was going to say, that Georgia Bartlett's got. Yeah. <laughs> that Nate's got. Like, I mean, from, from these amazing figures, I was going to say Winsome Wallace too. None of you know Winsome Wallace. But she's a, a wonderfully godly woman who just spent a lot of time praying. And I was one of the people that met her because she was praying for me. No one else knew what she was doing. But um, amazing people who simply invested what had been invested in them. Now, I've kind of answered the next bit. What does engaging in business mean then? Well, as followers of Jesus, it's our business to share the good news, to share the gospel with others, living a faithful and fruitful life uh, and sharing the hope that we have in Christ. Who are his subjects then? You know, the ones who hated him. Um, they're all the people in the world who reject Jesus, might be really actively and aggressively, might be very passively, but who reject Jesus and simply do not follow him. Okay, so we've made all those connections. Well, the parable itself explores two main concerns. First one is this. What do the servants do with the minor entrusted to them while the king is away? That's the first concern. The second one is this. What happens when the king returns and calls everyone to account? And of course, that includes us, doesn't it? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That, that's what's coming up for every single one of us. So let's have a look at it. The king calls the servants in. And notice the humility of the first two. Verse 16, verse 18, they simply reply, your minor has earned ten more or five more. They're not show ponies. It's not like, oh, look how great I am. Look at my great investment strategy. Look at my great foresight and planning. None of that. 
the generous gift of the minor, the gospel, it did the work. Sounds a like, lot like Paul in Romans 1.16, doesn't it? I'm not ashamed of the, the, the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel does the work. The late Billy Graham said a very similar thing. If anyone could boast about the number of people he's brought to Jesus, Billy Graham could, couldn't he? Don't you reckon? Just out of interest, did anyone here become a believer in Christ at a Billy Graham crusade? Okay, there we've got like four people right here. Um, it's phenomenal. Uh, and yet even uh, Billy Graham consistently kept pointing people to this truth. It was the gospel message that saves. It does the work. Now I've gone off on Billy Graham, completely lost my place. <laughs> Amazing. I was actually there at the 79 crusade at Randwick. Anyone else at that one? Yeah? Oh, look at a f- few people. Um, I didn't see you there, Frank. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, maybe you counseled me. Yeah, that's right. Um, we've all received the same gospel. The issue here is this. How are we going to invest it? in the lives of the people around us. I remember as a, as a young teenager, I told my grandmother, uh, uh, it was hard to tell people about Jesus. Well, she just smiled empathetically and said, Peter, just don't enter heaven empty-handed. Imagine meeting someone in heaven and they say to you, I'm here because you told me that good news. Wouldn't it be Amazing. What a joy it is to be saved by God ourselves because of Christ. What a joy it is when that good news, that gospel, has saved someone else that you know, a close friend or family member. As I look at the little uh, graph I'm making on the screen there, there's something missing, though, that is there in almost every person's story of conversion. There's a link across the bottom. Romans 10 verse 17 says this, Faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the gospel of Christ. What joy when God gives us the opportunity to share the gospel of Christ with another friend or family member. My question is this, will you share that life-saving news with the people in your circle of influence? The first servant had a return of 10 times his investment. The second one, five times. That's an extraordinary return, isn't it? A thousand percent. Why not begin praying today that God will use you to share the gospel so that 10 people might be saved? What's the reward? It's huge. It's beyond expectation. Public honour by ruling over ten whole cities. I mean, through that gospel message, ten ten people, or yeah, through that minor tenfold. That's still only you know a couple of years' wages. And the nobleman, the king, who's returned, gives him ten whole cities. And those wonderful words that we all long to hear, well done, my good servant. 
The minor was a testing ground for the heart. The minor was a testing ground for the heart. And having been found faithful, not flamboyant, not fancy, not fashionable, just faithful. The servant was placed in a position of great honour with Christ. Sometimes the path of obedience puts us in the spotlight and God can use those moments. But we must fix our eyes on Jesus and not the spotlight because that same path of obedience may lead us into persecution the very next day. Sounds like Jesus' life, doesn't it? If we're going to follow him, ours will be the same. Now, I don't want to read too much into the parable, but I get the clear impression that heaven is not a kind of static state of endless singing and heart playing. It's a real world with cities and life and purpose and reward, living and ruling with the King of Kings. But not for all. Look at verse 20. Another servant comes forward and he slanders the king as stingy and harsh, trying to justify his own careless and lazy attitude. And the irony is that right there in his hand, wrapped in a rag, is the miner, God's generous and gracious gift for him to use. And what did he do? Nothing. He did nothing with it. He just lived as though it did not matter. Uh, Friends, this crushes the idea that that we can simply be a private Christian and, and keep the good news to ourselves. If it truly is good news, share it. I find it very sobering that Jesus uses the man's own words in judging him. Another time Jesus said to those listening, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Friends, let's not be stingy or lazy or careless in our hearts towards God or our words about him as we speak to others or silent for that matter. He sees all and he will judge all. What was the consequence? He lost everything. He lost everything of value. Public shame. The good servant received public honour. The wicked servant received public shame. What about the enemies of the king who hated and rejected and rebelled against him? They received public execution. Permanently cut off from life with the king. Friends, remember that it's the gospel that saves, not our cleverness in sharing. So the onus rests fairly and squarely with the way each person responds to the gospel in their hearts. So let's make sure of two things. Firstly, that we personally respond to the gospel. And secondly, that we share it. If people haven't heard it, they simply can't respond. We need to share it. Make sure we personally put our trust in Christ and get on with investing the good news 
in the lives of other people. Invest what God has entrusted to you. I want to finish by by sharing a bunch of stories that I've heard uh, from people that I've met um, as I've lived life. Uh, who've done just this. They've invested what God has entrusted to them. As I share, maybe you'll see yourself in one of the stories and be encouraged or perhaps be challenged or inspired to invest your minor, the, the gospel hope that we have in the lives of those around you. Now, I was going to try and group all these stories, a bunch of stories in different ways. I thought, I'm just going to start with the youngest ones and go up in age, just like that. One boy asked his dad for gospel tracts to give to all his friends at school. That would be like someone taking the, the cards that we have advertising different kids' programs and giving to them to all their school friends. Great idea. A girl invited her friends to youth group. Some of them came. A boy in year nine began a lunchtime Christian group at his state high school. A year 11 girl and two friends began praying earnestly for two friends each. In God's kindness, they both came to faith and it kept going. By the end of year 12, two-thirds of that year group had become followers of Jesus. A bunch of high school students started a band so they could share Jesus with people through music. Go the bands. I, uh, I taught those, those boys. They were all boys. Um, it was phenomenal. Uh, lots of young people uh, are using social media to share their lives in a real and honest way so others see and hear about Jesus from their life story. Fantastic. A young lady at Bible College invited other students to join her in door-knocking the local suburb to meet people and share the good news about Jesus. That, that young lady's now in Argentina. Some of you might know her. That's our link missionary, Amy Stevens. A uni student devoted one lunchtime each week to meeting new people on the campus lawn and getting into conversation so that he might have the chance to share about Jesus with them. Great idea. Another uni student sold his $18,000 cello and gave up a professional career in music to go to another country where people have never heard about Jesus. A young mother made little devotional books to help her son learn about Jesus. I read about a father who read the whole Bible to each of his three sons. So it inspired me to get started with my four girls. One woman taught school scripture for 47 years. I think she's still teaching. Another dad read a few verses from the Bible with his family every dinner time and prayed together every time they backed out the driveway in the car. It's not because he was a bad driver, just, <laughs> you know, see, see what opportunities come that day, seek to honour God. Um, a mum began a mother's prayer group for their school-aged children. Many years after her kids had finished school, the group was still going. God filled one woman's heart with compassion for suffering children. She became a foster carer and after many years 
had helped over 250 children. They each experienced a little bit of God's love through her and heard about Jesus in her home. Uh, a tradesman uh, was very sick of the inappropriate pictures in the workplace toilets, so he bravely put up some of his kids' preschool artwork on the wall <laughs> with short Bible verses about God's goodness. It wasn't long before the other pictures disappeared. He never removed them, but he did have some good conversations. Another bloke refused to be dishonest in his work because he believed God could see what was going on. It cost him a promotion. But what a bold witness. A wealthy Aussie family built an orphanage in another country to give hope and safety for little broken lives. The staff are believers so the kids learn about Jesus. After his 50th birthday, a bloke decided to do a huge bike ride with Bike for Bibles to raise money so more people could have their own Bible and learn about Jesus. A retired businessman works as a full-time volunteer doing all the administration for a missionary organisation. He's also, in his late 70s, he's also uh, been trained up um, to train others in how to share the faith with Muslim immigrants to Australia (laughs) and having an amazing impact. A few friends, very wealthy businessmen, uh, match dollar for dollar the donations other Christians make to various Christian causes so that more people can be trained in Christian missionary uh, ministry and hear the gospel. A grandmother... This was the Winston Wallace that I mentioned. A grandmother, my own, sat in bed with seven young grandchildren all around her and read Bible stories to them. Even, on one occasion, the whole book of Esther. (laughs) I could go on and on all day. Amazing people that I've met. Some of them are you, by the way. And when we're done today, can I encourage you, keep sharing stories with each other to encourage each other, inspire each other. The question for us is this. How are we investing the gospel in the lives of other people while we wait for King Jesus to return? Because when Jesus comes to judge, his message is this, to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Friends, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank thank you that your word is like a two-edged sword and cuts right to our hearts, revealing our thoughts and motives, bringing joy, comfort, hope, and at the same time revealing those dark areas of sin in our hearts as well. Lord, this morning we say thank you for the gospel. 
Thank you that we did not have to go to the cross for our sins. And we couldn't anyway because we're blemished sacrifices. But Jesus died for us. And in him we have hope. Please help us to personally receive your forgiveness and joyfully share that good news with others that they may be saved. Amen.